Hey, what's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, we're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today or tonight, we're going to talk about identifying the enemy. Listen, um, saw an exchange on Facebook that I want to kind of comment on. I want to use this to uh, have our podcast for the evening. And a good evening, everyone. Uh, Scott Wall, Missy Malone is going very well. Gwen Cooper, good to see you. Katie Smith is here. And uh, yes, yeah, Scott, I, it was getting time. And uh, yeah, my hair, my hair on my face grows really weird. So it was either commit to having the big, huge beard or get it trimmed up some. And I, I trimmed it all myself and I did all this. And uh, I got a thing. I can't remember when I got it now. May have been last Christmas. I got an apron that goes around my neck and it uses two plungers to attach to the mirror. And I can just do everything I want to. The hair falls right into that apron and I just put it in the trash and it's easy cleanup. Anyway, that's probably way more than you've ever wanted to know about my grooming habits. But let's talk about this idea of identifying our enemies. Um, there was a post that was shared on Facebook within the last couple of days about Taylor Swift and some things that she is doing in our modern culture. And we all know how far modern culture has gone to the side of hedonism. In other words, if it feels good, do it. Uh, there's, there's no God other than your belly. And if you live your life uh, in fulfillment of your fleshly desires, that is a life of contentment, joy, and happiness. Of course, that is the great lie that has been sold to our modern culture. However, uh, we have enemies who are trying to indoctrinate you, and if they can't reach you, they will be more than happy to reach your children. And I, I actually made a comment on this. I don't normally comment on places I have no control over, but I felt compelled to make the comment, and I'm going to read you my comment. But before that, I want to relate to you a story. This has been several years ago. You'd have to Google, when did Hugh Hefner die? And now I can't think of the, uh, of the televangelist, Billy Graham, that's his name. Billy Graham died, and I saw so many people arguing on the internet about whether or not Billy Graham was saved. Even some of my own brethren were was saying that we can't judge Billy Graham's soul and that Billy Graham may well be in heaven with us. My response to that is that's pure, pure unadulterated heresy. You can look at a man and his life and his actions, and you can tell whether or not that man, you can have a good idea of whether or not that man is in heaven. But if that man's actions and what he testifies both claim to hate God and everything he stands for, well, the scriptures are very clear on this. God is going to honor your wishes as far as where you would like to go. And you might be saying, well, Tony, nobody, if they really understood about it, uh, if they really understood it, would want to go to hell. You're right. They wouldn't. But a second, a close second to a desire to go to hell is at least uh, a, a lack of desire to be with God. And a lack of desire to be with God is enough for him to say, you know what? I'm not going to make you do something you don't want to do. But you understand the only alternative to being with God is to being in hell, away from God. So why in the world can we not look at a man like, uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Billy Graham was an avowed false teacher. We know what he taught. We know the false hope that he gave. And we know what the scriptures say about people who do that. 
they're going to go to hell in the end. That is not a judgment that we make. That is a judgment the Bible makes. And Billy Graham was very clear. So there should be no argument. And I noticed that, and I'm like, well, okay, so I can, I can see where uh, maybe some people would be confused. They would think, well, Billy Graham, uh, he's a Christian. He's just mistaken, and he's doing his heart's in the right place, and he really loves God, and he loves Jesus. He's just wrong, so maybe God's grace to save him. Okay, I can put myself in people's shoes, and I can see where they would have a problem with somebody saying just outright, people are going to, you know, Billy Graham's going to hell. I, can, I get it. I don't agree with it. I think it's very easy to ascertain the final destination of Billy Graham. But not long after Billy Graham died, Hugh Hefner died. Now, I did not realize there's people, there are people in this world today that don't know who Hugh Hefner was. Hugh Hefner founded the magazine Playboy. And Playboy is a pornographic magazine. And that's about all I've got to say about that. And he led, he led this hedonistic lifestyle. He had the Playboy bunnies living in the Playboy mansion, and he had these sex capades and all that. And he hated God. And like he, he, was, he was vocal about this. He, he, he was, it's not like he was hiding the ball. He wasn't like Billy Graham, who thought he was doing right and living a, living a moral life and wanted to, wanted to be with God for eternity. He didn't care, and he was vocal about not caring. And he went the way of all the earth. He died. Where is Billy Graham's soul? I mean, would you say that I am a bad person and that I am an example of everything that's wrong with the church if I simply say, hey, according to this book right here, Billy Graham is going to spend an eternity, I mean, uh, Hugh Hefner is going to spend an eternity in hell. I had brethren uh, come out of the woodwork uh, attacking me because I made a meme, and in the on the meme I said something to the effect of, "Well, I think we can at least all agree that Billy Graham is now in." I mean, uh, Billy Graham. I keep saying Billy Graham. I think that we can at least all agree that Hugh Hefner is in torment, awaiting the day of judgment, where he'll be in hell for eternity. And I was just a bad guy. Well, why is that? It's because this modern ideology has crept into the church, and we can't simply speak definitively about things that are very easily ascertained. We are no longer allowed to identify our enemy. Now think about this. A gospel preacher puts out a post warning about Miley si or, um, Taylor Swift and comparing her to Miley Cyrus. And he called these people evil and referred to them as enemies, our enemies. They are the enemies of your children. They are trying to indoctrinate your children and push this hedonistic, social Marxist agenda. Now, what's wrong with calling them enemies? Let me read you a post. It seems as though we have fallen into the mistake of equating people to their sin. Yes, we must be able to recognize sin, rebuke it, and flee from it. There is nothing wrong about calling out sin, but I hope you understand that if God equated us to our sin, we should all be afraid. I imagine if you were caught in sin and the responses that people had to you were the same as those in this comment section, some of them refer to the sin itself, but many of them are towards Taylor Swift as a person. My whole point in making this comment was to point out how quickly we congregate to bash people who are not following God. I believe that this is just distracting us from who the real enemy is. It surely isn't Taylor Swift. For all that I know, 
she could believe she's doing the right thing. One thing I know for sure is that the devil has no good intentions for us, and he certainly uses our current culture to push certain agendas that are contradictory to the gospel message. Stay focused on the real enemy. Pray for our world. Pray for Taylor. Pray for the church. Ask God to protect our world from the schemes of the devil. May God have mercy on us all. If anybody is open to understanding the thought process behind what I've had to say, I'm open to conversing about it. I'd love to understand your thoughts also. First, I don't understand. I don't believe it. And for a minute, that last part. But this person here, first off, listen to, listen, to, listen to some problems in the first paragraph. It seems as though we have fallen into the mistake of equating people to their sin. Well, uh, that, that's, that's, that statement is based on the faulty premise that it is not a good thing to conflate people or equate people to their sin. God does that. Let's go to, let's go to the book here, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And let's read this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Well, now, wait a second. This is Paul writing with inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and these people in Corinth, Paul was saying, you, you were once identified as your sin, They're thus equating them and their sin. Scott Wall says, I heard a man say years ago about Elvis, for singing How Great Thou Art, that if anyone could make it to heaven, it would be Elvis. Wow. Deborah O'Neill says, there are brethren that think Mother Teresa is in heaven along with everyone else they don't want to think it went to hell. It's discouraging to see brethren post about celebrities when they pass away saying, rest in peace, knowing that they were not members of the Lord's church. And it's not just that they weren't members of the Lord's church, Deborah. It's they were openly antagonistic to anything that had to do with Christianity or Christians or the values of Christianity. I'll get it out in a minute. A little tongue-tied today. But notice this in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, such were some of you. Before you were equated with your sin, now, let's read it, but to the contrary, you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. They are no longer equated with their sin. Now they were equated with their righteousness. That's just the way sin and righteousness work. What is the problem with that? Listen, it is bad not to be able to point out sin and to point out someone who actively participates in it and tries their best to get others to actively participate in it as well. That person is evil. And we ought to be able to point at that person and say, that's the enemy. In fact, this is, this is extra. It won't cost you a dime more than you're paying now. Let's go to Romans chapter 16. And let's notice something interesting here. Everybody knows Romans 16, 16, and 17. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offensive and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such. Now wait a second. What do you mean those who are such? Those who are such is indicative of a state of being. Their sin, the sin of these people, that we are supposed to mark, to note, and keep no company with them, they are dividers, and uh, they are offenders, and they are contrary to the doctrine of Christ. That is a state of being by which these people are identified, thus equating them with their sin. 
And the only way that they can leave that state of being and no longer be equated with that sin is to do what the church, the people of the church of Corinth did. Then you can say, and such were some of you, but you are no longer that. We cannot be, we, we cannot think that we are not identified by our actions. Our actions dictate our state of being. We are equal to our actions and state of being. And there's a verse in the Bible that just punches that home. I'm going to save that till later. So let's keep on going. He says, I hope you understand if God equated us to our sin, we should all be afraid. Well, God does equate us to our sin. We've just seen that, but if 1 Corinthians chapter 6, such were some of you, and Romans 16, 17 is, is not enough, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 and listen to this. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not be named among you, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Notice the sons of disobedience. What is the seed principle? Why do we have to be born again? We have to be born again so we can take on the spiritual attributes of our spiritual father. That's one of the reasons. When you're born, you take on the physical attributes of your, of your parents. Well, when we're born again, that's spiritual. You should, you're supposed to, you do take on the spiritual attributes of your spiritual father. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Now, here's the rub. <clears throat> here's the punch. For you were once darkness. Notice he didn't say you were once in darkness. He didn't say you were once like darkness. This is not a metaphor. This is not locative. It's not location. It's you were once identified. This was your identity. You were darkness. But what happens when you obey the gospel and you're reborn? Now are you light. God equates us with our actions. Whenever we were in sin, whenever we were fornicators, idolaters, covetous men, we were equated to our sin. But God be thanked, even though we were darkness, now, are we light? Now we are not in light, Paul says. Now we are light. You see, our state of being changed. Now are we light? Folks don't like this. If you're not good, you're evil. You understand me? Think about that. I, I know that's hard, hard, hard in this culture. There's only two states of being, good and the lack of good. Well, what is the lack of good? Is there a word that we can think of that we can succinctly convey the abstract idea of lacking goodness? It's called evil. If you're not good, you're evil. If I am not good, I am evil. If I am not actively serving God, I am at the very least 
passively serving Satan. I may be actively serving Satan, but at the very least, I'm I'm passively serving him. Verse 8, chapter 5, Ephesians. You were once darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now listen, let's keep on going. Walk as children of light, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. How can we have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but to the contrary, expose them? We got to be able to identify what is evil and the enemy of the cross and what is working against us. It is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as wise, or not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the times because the days are evil. Let me ask you something. Two armies. One army is traveling from point A to point B. One army is lying in wait and is going to descend upon the other army. One army knows for a fact that it's about to be in a battle. One army does not think that there is going to be a battle. All things being equal on both sides, if you had to make a prediction, statistically, who's going to win that battle? It's the army that knows there's going to be and is a battle. The army that knows it's at war is going to win. What Satan has gotten the church to do is to let its guard down, and we can no longer identify the enemy. We can no longer look at a person and say, that person is evil and that person is the enemy. Romans 16, 19, for your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. That's it. Innocent, harmless, good and simple. It's a good one, Scott Wall. Good one, good one. All right, I'm making sure I didn't miss any comments. I've got one from Douglas Connolly. How can anyone ascend into heaven if they haven't descended from heaven without Christ Jesus? Douglas, I appreciate that. I'm not sure. That sounds like a rhetorical question, but I'm not sure the answer to the question. All right. Let's keep going. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm done with the first paragraph here. Uh, next paragraph. I believe that this is just distracting us from who the real enemy is. Well, now, wait a second. You know what? You'd think I would be prepared, but I'm not. I need to go somewhere, and I missed something. I want to get you the reply of another person, and in it, this this idea is answered about, you know, it, does the Bible teach that we only have one enemy? Well, God forbid. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. So I want to read you a very succinct response to that, uh, if I can find it here. Yeah. Let me, let me read you the, the response to this that, that just turns it on its ear. All right. So contrary to your protest, Paul equated people with their sin in first Corinthians six, nine and following. He specifically identified the people in with their sin. He de, uh, his description of homosexuality in Romans 1, 24 through 27 was far more than any in the church are willing to stomach today. There is a vast difference between an individual who makes a mistake, even a sin, and one who is uh, pursuing and recruiting children into the grossest forms of debauchery, like Taylor Swift and others are doing. This is not a matter of someone who is simply not following Christ. Swift and her ilk are willing recruiters for Satan and his minions. Now, here's, here's the paragraph of interest. 
Where did anyone ever get the idea that Satan is our only enemy? Not from the Bible. Listen to this. It's from Philippians. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are, they, plural, are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame. Philippians 3, 18 and 19. Paul isn't talking about Satan in that text. So, can we deny that there are enemies to the cross that are not Satan? That Satan has co- uh, not culprits, what uh, co-conspirators? And that's not right either. Satan has people that work on his behalf that that probably don't even know he's working. They're working on his behalf. I, I'm t- accomplices. Yeah, Satan has accomplices. Anyway, so. He goes on this this person that has a problem with this Taylor Swift idea. I believe that 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 this is just distracting us from who the real enemy is. It surely isn't Taylor Swift. That's terrible. Of course, the Bible no agents. Ted Hook Knight agents. Yes, I, I reached into the deep parts of my brain for that word, and I ran into a big vast nothingness. Agents. Satan has agents in this world. And look, his agents are enemies the same way he is. Oh, Scott Wall, yeah. Listen, false teachers are definitely angels of Satan, messengers of Satan. Let's, you know what? This is a live stream. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. It's either 11 or 12. I, I can't ever remember exactly what chapter that's in. But 2 Corinthians, and uh, if it's not 11, it's for sure 12. It's 11. All right, listen to this. Oh, that you would bear with me a little in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit you do not that you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. Now, folks, he's using apostles here as folks sent out on a mission. He's not referring to the other apostles that were appointed by Jesus. He he coins a, a phrase here. I really love the way some of my modern translations rendered this. They call it super apostles, uh, preeminent apostles, all that good stuff. But the super apostles is a good one. Um, anyway, even though I am untrained in speech, yet am I not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches uh, uh, from, from them to minister to you, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one for what I lacked. The brethren who came from Macedonia supplied and in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you. And so I will keep myself as the truth of Christ is in me. No one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you. God knows. But what I do, I will continue to do. Now, listen, this, this is why I'm having this lengthy reading. What I'm, what I'm doing, I'm going to continue to do for the purpose that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things which they boast. Sorry, my hand was over the word boast, and I couldn't say, I thought it was, I got confused. Anyway, the idea here is Paul saying, look, you've had, you, you, you have these super apostles coming and preaching to you, and they're leading you away. They're, caught, they're, they're charging you money. 
You're listening to these people. Bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. I don't want you falling falling these super apostles away. Now, if he were talking about the other 12, there would be no reason to be jealous. He's not talking about the other apostles here, folks. He's talking about false teachers. Because look, for such, verse 13, are false apostles, deceitful workers. Well, the such that are false apostles, who is that? That's the super apostles. They're false apostles. He's not talking about Peter and the others. He's talking about false teachers. Deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder. For Satan himself transforms into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, his servants, also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. Servants. These, there, there are people on this earth that are servants of Satan. And we ought to be able to point them out. And we should be able to point them out and warn the brethren without backlash like this. And I would say without pearl-clutching backlash and virtue-signaling backlash. Because there's something here that just turns my stomach, and we had not got to it yet. I'm going, to, I'm going to begin this second paragraph again. Thank you so much for that, uh, that um, phrase there, Scott. Douglas says, I'm saying that Jesus is the only one who has descended from heaven, but as some people will say that their loved one is in heaven, that's the reason I asked the other question. Doug, I don't see the other question. How can someone ascend to heaven if they haven't descended from heaven without Christ? I think I get you. I think I get you. All right. Listen to this. I believe that this is just distracting us from who the real enemy is. We've covered that. It surely isn't Taylor Swift. Now, this is a part I want to get to. This is what makes my stomach turn. For all I know, she, Taylor Taylor Swift, could believe she's doing the right thing. What does that matter? If a person follows you and your family home from town and nails the door shut to your house, sets your house on fire and shoots you as you're climbing out a window, they may think that they're doing the right thing. I want to know what difference it makes. That is something that has crept into the church, folks. We think as long as we feel like we're doing the right thing, we're right. I'm going to say this. It's going to be hard, for, it's going to be a hard pill to swallow for some. Maybe, maybe it won't be a hard pill to swallow for anybody here. God doesn't care how you feel. Now, be careful what you attribute my sayings to. I'm I'm speaking very specifically. God doesn't care how you feel. We have a commandment to be joyful. We have a commandment to persevere. And we're promised rest. You might feel like something is unfair. You might feel like you're doing the right thing. But that doesn't matter. You know, you hear me say a lot, those of you that listen to my content, um, we don't deal with should and should not. We deal with is and is not because is and is not is reality. Should and should not is what might be but hasn't yet manifest. So there's no sense in dealing with should and should not. It should be the case that life is fair. It should be the case that somebody looks at me and says, Tony, you're doing a good job. Here's a million bucks. Don't worry about a budget. But but that's not the case. Is and is not. That's what we deal with. 
Well, this, this is just a different version of that. For all I know, she, Taylor Swift, could believe she's doing the right thing. I want to know what difference that makes. It doesn't make any difference at all. It makes no difference whatsoever. Ted Hook Knight says, There is more to pleasing God than feeling that we are pleasing him. Naaman thought or felt that he would please God by dipping in his own rivers. Nope. Yeah, but let me tell you something. That's a, look, all the, power, all, all the most powerful things are of old, I feel, because they have been around the longest. They have stood the test of time. I think every, 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 every preacher that I know of that's ever graduated preaching school has preached the sermon, Behold, I thought. Old Naaman came down, and he thought the man of God was going to come out and wave his hands and say some incantations or whatever. Instead, he sends his apprentice and says, Look, you need to go dunk, dunk seven times in the Jordan River. Well, is the Abana and the Far Par rivers of Damascus my hometown? Are they not better? They're cleaner, certainly, by far. I mean, that's not what the text says. About, or may, Well, maybe I need to go back and read it. Maybe he does talk about the cleaner Jordan. Anyway, doesn't matter. The, the man of God told him to dump in the, uh, dunk in the Jordan. It took a servant for him to say, hey, if the man of God would have told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? He told you to go dip in the Jordan seven times. Why don't you just go dip and be clean? And Naaman did it, regardless of how he felt about it. And that's the thing. Oh, I, I, this, this came to mind. I'm so glad Ted put the comment in. Go read the Gospels. I should know this off the top of my head, but I don't. Jesus is making a point, and he tells the story, the parable, I'm, I'm assuming this is a parable, of two sons. The father comes to one son and says, I need, to do, I need you to do such and such in the vineyard. And the son says, yeah, sure, I'll go do it. But he doesn't do it. He comes to the other son and says, hey, I need you to go do such and such in the vineyard. And the, and the son says, no, I'm not doing that. But then he changes his mind and he does the will of the father anyway. Which son was pleasing to God? Let me ask you something. Do you think, well, I'm not going to ask that because that's actually putting too much conjecture. Um, let me give you a, an illustration of whenever I was young on the apple farm. There were times growing up on the apple farm where I didn't want to work on the apple farm. And, uh, but guess what I did? I had to work anyway. Do you, do you, do you, do you, do you think that I had the best attitude and I was the most pleasant person when I was, when I was obeying the will of my parents and working on the apple farm at all times? No, but I worked on the apple farm and they allowed me to be a little uh, the kids say salty. They allowed me to be a little salty about working on the apple farm. They didn't care if I was. They didn't care if I was doing the work while I was mad. They just needed me to do the work. Now, listen. I'm not saying that your default state of being should be anger while you serve the Lord. But what I'm saying is. Your default emotion while you do God's will is not as important as doing God's will. And I'll, I'll, I believe I'll die on that hill. Now, I do believe that the more you do God's will, the more, the easier it is for your default state of being to be identified as happy, joyful content. But that doesn't mean you're going to be that way all the time. You ever woke up Sunday morning and not want to go to church? You ever go anyway? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I've heard people say, oh, I just, 
I, 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 I didn't come to church today, Tony, because I just, I just didn't feel it. Well, man, I didn't feel it much either when I got up. But when I got there and I started doing it, then my, my feelings matched my thoughts and my actions. Anyway, something to think about. Uh, spirituality isn't a feel-right cause, but spirituality is a do-right. That's it. And uh, Scott Wall says, The Scripture does not say anywhere that you can feel you are saved, but Jesus said we can know we are saved through the knowledge of his word, 1 John 5, 13. That's right. Nowhere in Scripture are we ever promised to be to feel saved. Oh, but we are assured that we can know we're saved. I love that. First John chapter 2. Little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. But if any man sins, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is the propitiation for his sin, and not, not for his only, but for the sins of the whole world. Oh, and hereby do we know that we know him. That's fellowship, folks. You know you're in fellowship with God by this thing, if we keep his commandments. So I'm going to go back to this commenter, and I'm going to ask, what does it matter whether or not Taylor Swift thinks she's doing the right thing? All right, I'm going to keep on going. One thing I know for sure is that the devil has no good intentions for us. That is absolutely true. And he does currently use our culture to push certain agendas that are contradictory to the gospel message. Yes, and I am very sad to say that one of the tools he uses is political correctness and woke, wokeism in the church. And these, these tools that Satan is using to push this terrible agenda of hedonism and debauchery in the world He's using people who identify as members of the Lord's church. And the way he is using those people is by having those people stand up against good people who all they're doing is pointing out something as evil and vile and wicked and identifying a wicked, evil, and vile person. Anyway, that is all I've got from this particular comment. I'm going to read you the comment that I put down. Manny, or excuse me, I can't read. That was my own comment, and I messed up the word, didn't I? Morality based on Christian values lost the culture war when social Marxism infiltrated the church and robbed society of being able to identify the enemies. Folks, we have got to be. It, it's 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 one of it's one of Tung Su, I think his name is. Uh, rules of war. You've got to be able to identify your enemy, and I'll share a quote here in a moment. Now, the only sin, seemingly, that can be committed is the breaking of the eleventh commandment: "Thou shalt be nice." The devil loves it when Christians promote niceness over kindness. Now, don't read too much into what I'm saying. I'm not saying we shouldn't promote niceness. Niceness is not inherently bad. But if you promote niceness over kindness, then you are promoting Satan's agenda. Because when you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is kind, do a word study. Love is useful to the person being loved. Now, is it nice when a doctor tells a patient that they have cancer? No, it is not nice at all. In fact, that is the opposite of nice. And if you don't believe me, talk to somebody who's received that diagnosis but it is kind because it is useful. It's the right thing to do. It isn't nice to walk up to a stranger and say, hey, listen, you have mustard on your cheek. 
It's not nice, but it is kind. I don't want to walk around with mustard on my cheek. Anyway, there is a quote that comes to mind in relation to our spiritual warfare. Listen to this. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but do not know the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. In other words, you'll be defeated. Now, think about the three progressions there. If you know yourself and you know the enemy, you don't have to fear a hundred battles. You're going to win. Well, the Bible spends a lot of time telling us who the enemy is so we can know the enemy. You know, Satan walks around this old world like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I can read about these agents of Satan as well, and I can read how to deal with them. So I have to know my enemy. And I do know my enemy because the Word of God tells me how to identify my enemy. What else does the Bible tell me to do? It tells me to know myself. Take heed unto thyself and unto the flock over the which the Holy Ghost have made you overseers. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Examine yourself to see whether or not you're still in the Lord. All of these things tell us to look inward. If I follow this Bible and I know myself I, and I know my enemy, then I don't have to fear a hundred battles. But what if I only know myself, but I don't know the enemy? Or what if I know the enemy and I don't know myself? Well, then for every battle won, we'll lose a battle, and then we will be at a standstill, and we will not grow. And what happens to a body that is not growing? It is actually dying. You know, take plants, for instance. Any, any of you folks that have ever kept house plants. If your plant is not thriving and healthy and you have to keep pruning it and trimming it, then that plant is dying. There is no stasis. And then, of course, the final thing is if you know neither your enemy nor yourself, that means you just don't study this book at all, then you're going to lose every battle that you fight. And that's not good. Folks, we got to be able to identify the enemy. And here's the thing. If that's not your cup of tea, if you feel uncomfortable doing that, that's fine. You don't have to do it. You don't have to put a post out on Facebook like this man did. You don't have to publicly stand up and denounce the enemy and identify the enemy. That might not be where your particular area of expertise lies. That might not be your strength. You might be valuable to the kingdom in other ways. But don't you think we need soldiers in our army that's able to do that? Well, of course we do. Here's my plea. Don't hinder those who do it. Don't stand in their way. That's all I ask. And I hope you'd, I hope you'd listen. Now, Let's talk about this idea of equating our sin, uh, equating us with our sin. Let's go to 1 John chapter 3 and read here. Incidentally, I've been reading from the New King James Version of the Bible, if that makes any difference to anybody. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what, he, what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to, to, to take away our sins, 
and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning for this purpose. The Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Little children, don't let anybody lie to you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous. Do you understand the converse of that is true as well according to this? Little children, don't let anybody deceive you. He that doeth unrighteousness is unrighteous. Folks, the Bible is clear. God does equate us with our actions. If those actions are sinful, we are unrighteous, we are darkness. If our actions are righteous in the Lord, then we are righteous and we are light. My prayer for you this evening, dear Christian, listening to this, is walk as children of light. Walk circumspectly. Walk in love and walk worthy of that vocation wherewith you were called. Folks, I hope I've given you some things to chew on. I hope I've given you some things to work on. I know I've given me some things to work on. I do want to make a point really quickly. All people who are in the world are enemies of the cross. They might not necessarily be our enemies, but all who are enemies of the cross, some of them are our enemies as well. It is my judgment and conviction that these celebrities that are pushing the sexual agenda that is so harmful to our culture down the throat of our children, those people are not only enemies of the cross, they're our enemies as well, and we should be able to identify them. The scripture, oh, hold on a second. Yeah, the scripture does not say anywhere that you can feel you are saved. I read that while ago. Uh, Study to show yourself approved unto God. It is through knowledge that we can know all things pertaining to godliness. Without studying, there is no light. The knowledge in our lives, else we walk in darkness. Absolutely. All right. Listen, that's all I've got, folks. I thank you so much for tuning in. I thank you for listening. I appreciate it. I appreciate Jonathan and Eric for letting me have this platform. And uh, hopefully you will subscribe to the uh, Cogitations podcast. Hopefully you will follow me at Cogitations um, on on Facebook. And uh, yeah, that's all I've got here. God bless you. This has been Tony Brew with Cogitations. And we will catch you on the flip side.